This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 118 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the B Podcast Network. Evidence-based practices and high-quality curriculum are important, but they aren't the only things school leaders need to think about. We can't effectively serve students unless we understand their community and what they're going through in their day-to-day lives, which means we have to think beyond the classroom or therapy room. That's why I invited Edward Gordon II, former principal and CEO of Gordon Leadership Academy, to the DeFacto Leaders podcast to talk about school turnaround and coaching within the education system. Edward is a certified principal for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He has over 20 years of experience in education and has led staff and students from preschool through high school. He was one of three graduates of the Philly Plus School Turnaround Program, a selective residency program focused on serving underperforming schools. 
He hosts a weekly broadcast titled The Principal's Office, where he highlights educational stakeholders who are making a difference in their lives, the lives of others, and with others. At Gordon Leadership Academy, he coaches and mentors aspiring and current school leaders globally. In this conversation, we discuss what's really behind school attendance issues and what happens when the school vision doesn't align with the student body, the community, and the staff. What's the difference between coaching, mentoring, therapy, and consulting? And how can people in education and healthcare both deliver and use these services to lead fulfilling careers and serve students? We also talk about why and how educators, leaders, and therapists can form partnerships with local businesses and community organizations to better serve students. And this comes back to one of the themes that I talk about a lot on the show, which is how we can't be siloed off in our services. We can't just think about what happens in the therapy room. We have to think about what's happening when students leave our sessions or our classrooms. And this can be thinking about what happens throughout their school day, but also thinking about what happens after school when they're out in the community. So Edward shared some really important things in this conversation. I'm really excited to share it. One thing I wanted to mention before we get going is that this past year, I joined the B Podcast Network for Educators and Aspiring Leaders. This network has a ton of podcasts that are designed to inspire you to level up in your career as an educator, to help you more effectively serve students, and to lead a more fulfilling career. There are a ton of great podcasts on the network covering topics like school leadership, learning and development in the corporate setting, ed tech, entrepreneurship, and a ton of other things that are going to help you Think of innovative ways that you can use your skills to serve your clients. To learn more about the Bee Podcast Network, go to bepodcastnetwork.com. Now, please enjoy this interview with Edward Gordon. Today, I am joined by Edward Gordon from Gordon Leadership Academy. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, thank you, Dr. Brandon. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, so you have a really interesting backstory. So I thought we could start there and just share a little bit about your experience working in the schools, working as a principal, and how that brought you to the work that you're doing now. Sure. I started in as a music teacher at John F. Kennedy High School in Patterson, New Jersey. Did that for about six years. And during that time period, John F. Kennedy High School was going through a district initiative about how to break down the large comprehensive high school into small learning communities. And I had an opportunity to start the Bravo Academy, which was an academy based on fine performing arts. And it was an opportunity to work with staff members English teachers, math teachers, science and social studies, history teachers that were just designed to just specifically work with the students that were part of that academy. And the whole goal and vision there was to really to help them to really have a sense of belonging in a, a portion of the school building and also the, the efforts to be able to increase and improve the attendance rates and also graduation rates of the, the students within the school building. After some time working in Patterson, then I transitioned to, and I always had a desire to become a school leader, school principal. And that's when I transitioned 
to work in as a, as a school leader. And I did that for about uh, 15, 16 years after that. Had opportunity to lead students and parents and teachers from preschool through high school. And, you know, it's a great experience working in various uh, urban and suburban <laughs> districts with some, some challenges. I also had a year in working in Philadelphia school district doing some school tur turnaround work and I had opportunity to work with the, the new teacher project and really learn some great things around uh, further my knowledge around school leadership and also school turnaround. But I would say definitely in 2019-2020 was an opportunity where I took the opportunity to step out of the role of leading a school and started Gordon Leadership Academy and we provide coaching, mentoring, assessments and also training for aspiring and current school leaders. And with that opportunity and experience, it really came out of a, a, a time in my life, 2016, 2017, where I got terminated from a position of being a school principal. And at the time, I was really asking uh, God, why was I so successful in previous school settings? And now I'm in this role and I'm having all these challenges. And what was revealed to me at the time is that I didn't have a, a coach or a mentor. And I had to take time to really learn what a coach was, what a mentor was. And once I learned that, I got both of them in my life and got back into leading schools. But that was the beginning of the of a greater calling that led me to where I am now, uh, being a coach and a mentor for aspiring current school leaders and really spreading the message about the importance of coaching and mentoring in education for our school leaders. There's so many questions I have about all of that that you just said. So one of, I'm really interested, I want to get into the coaching element because I think that's so important at all levels, no matter what position you are in the school systems, no matter what your role is. But also I am really interested to learn more about school turnaround because a lot of people who are listening, they're very focused on what do I do when my students are in front of me? So what are evidence-based practices when it comes to doing therapy, doing instruction, whether it be, you know, literacy instruction, math, social, emotional, but if students aren't coming to school, it doesn't matter if you have good therapy practices, students have to be there ready to learn. And so there has to be that good culture and ecosystem and just access. So I know that you were mentioning at the very beginning that you did some work with increasing attendance rates. What are the things that you have to think about when you when you are addressing some of those types of things? Yes. The key work around any type of school improvement is definitely looking at the, the data, um, looking at various data sources and seeing exactly what the school is doing well in and where are the, the challenges. And when you're looking at those various data sources and data pieces, you're going to identify exactly why, reference to attendance, you know, why students are not coming to school, where are mm -hmm. some challenges, but it's not only just those, the, the hard numbers that you look at when it comes to data, but you also have to take some time to actually establish some surveys to really get some qualitative information about their feelings and perceptions around school mm -hmm. and also create uh, another opportunity in terms of some focus groups as well having small groups of students in various grade levels 
with various demographics to be able to talk about school and their challenges with coming to school, but the same type of focus groups that need to happen with parents as well. Mm -hmm. That's when you dive and you start looking at the data based on the quantitative data in terms of the numbers, as well as the qualitative, and then from there developing a plan of an improvement. When it comes to uh, an attendance, you know, there's always this this working goal of getting our attendance rates up uh, 97% or higher. Mm-hmm. But you have to start looking at like, what are the challenges? What are the things that are holding some of our students uh, back from coming to school, sometimes in our urban districts? Sometimes it's based on one that are, are so, so there could be parents that are working multiple jobs, mm-hmm. that are not home in time to be able to get the students off of school at the right time and waking them up. It might be a situation also of students not having clean clothes and uniforms to come to school. Some might be based on that they are they don't feel a sense of belonging within the school building. And some of it is the fact that they just do not see the benefits of even being in the school setting. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that will come yeah. out based on that uh, quantitative and qualitative uh, data and those conversations. And from there, you have to, as a school leader and a a team that working with you, you have to develop a plan of how do we start addressing some of these uh, challenges and barriers that are hindering our students from coming to a safe environment, feeling a sense of belonging, having that desire to be there. And one of the things that we, we, I talk about very, often with my clients and other leaders is around vision. Sometimes I ask the question, like, what is the the vision of your school? And uh, sad to say, when some people I talked to initially, they don't even know what the vision of their school is. They Mm -hmm. haven't seen it, it's not posted anywhere. And sometimes when they find the vision, it's about five paragraphs long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how do you how do you uh, be able to you know put that into your your mindset and your spirit when it's such a, a long and lengthy statement and document? But the key thing is, if the leadership and the school doesn't have a vision, it does definitely trickles down to the teachers and also the students that are in that building. They don't know exactly where they're going, and you have to have that those type of things in place to start improving not only attendance, but other areas of your your school, your culture, as well as your academics. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine that all of that that you just mentioned, I mean, there was such a long list of reasons why kids aren't coming to school. And I mean, just to think about how to tackle that, but how does all of that play into the vision? I mean, I'm thinking about things like you know, what people's experience with school was, what what the parents' experience with school was, what their feelings are about coming to school and what their kids' feelings are about coming to school. How does that play into revising and crafting what that vision is? Yes. So sad to say in this vision process, it might be a situation where there's a superintendent or there's a, a building principal has been in charge or given the charge to write a vision and they go home over the weekend and they put together some uh, a vision statement and they come back to, to work on Monday and say, here it is. <laughs> yeah. and, without any buy-in from the stakeholders that are involved. 
and you know the stakeholders are our students are the parents are the teachers other administrators board of education members community members community businesses community partnerships that come into your school you have to get insight from all of those stake various stakeholders to really put together and keep them involved in the in the vision process once you have that information and data and and looking at some of the, the thoughts and the challenges then you're able to be able to, to, to start thinking about what do we desire for our students to be able to do um, by the end of fifth grade, at the end of eighth grade, at the end of their graduation from, from high school. And that is all based on, you know, what you have to put together in terms of that, that vision statement. You cannot do this in isolation. You have to look at data, you have to involve the, the various stakeholders and keep them involved in the process as you're crafting the vision statement to move them forward. And I, was, I would tell anyone in education, I think that, you know, if you had a vision statement that was is, that is 20 years old and so forth, and you're mm -hmm. still following it now, I believe there's some challenges with that. I believe that even our experiences that we went through during the time of the pandemic, it has reframed our, our thinking around education. And I think there should be some some uh, opportunity to re revisit our vision statements now in terms of how we're looking at the new way of educating our, our students and supporting our, our teachers and also our families and our communities. Yeah. I Do you have any specific examples of ways that people have taken one vision and realized that it was kind of out of date and maybe not appropriate for the things going on in the world or maybe not, not in line with the community values and how they were able to change it as far as just what it said before and what it was about after they did some evaluating and got input? And one thing that I, I've noticed in, in 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 this type of adjustment, I think that I've seen some vision statements in the past that were just based on how to prepare students to really to really I'll say a level of survival in terms mm -hmm. of the the jobs that they see within their local communities. Right now, if we're not thinking about global work and global partnership, mm -hmm. global communication with other societies, other countries, that is where we have to go. I, I mean, right now, the way our technology is with, with Zoom and even Google Meets and so forth, it's really shrinking the world. And yeah. there's so much that we can do now. And we have to prepare our, our students to be able to compete globally, understand yeah. what's happening in other parts of, of the world, and also how to effectively communicate in various rooms with various people with various beliefs and, and backgrounds to be successful. And I believe that's, that should be a part of the work right now as we're preparing new vision statements for the future. Oh, that's so important. I can even just, you know, as a person who is in the job market and looking, you know, always looking for new opportunities, just the People always say, well, there's so much more opportunity now because there is, you can do things online. So that means that you don't have to just look for work in your community if you want to stay there and live there. But that also means that you're competing with people all over the place and having to think about communicating with people who are potentially even in different countries and time zones and all of those things. So it's, 
it's like there's opportunity, but also the competition to stand out and, you know, be marketable and competitive. Yes. Things are definitely, definitely changing. And you have, we have to continuously keep abreast of these, these changes, continue to read and see exactly how things are moving. And if we are going to stay where we were, um, even a month ago, yeah. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get left behind. One of the interesting things that I've been pondering on lately with just the way that I spend my time personally, but also just the way that we communicate with with the, with kids is just the idea of you do have to have digital liter- literacy. You have to know how to interact with someone on a Google Meet and understand how to navigate those situations. And, and those are obviously things that you need to do now to be successful in the workforce, but also don't forget about interacting in person and going to in-person events just because we have this new this new functionality in front of us so just the you know not necessarily forgetting about the old way of doing things but embracing these new things that we have at our disposal now yeah you're, you're exactly right and you know we again we talk about school turnaround and we talk about the, the different funding sources that coming from the federal government and from the state to be able to improve instruction and to close some of the academic achievement gaps that are happening. Mm-hmm. So many times as, as school leaders, we put a lot of our money and resources around some additional curriculum items around literacy yeah. and math. But I believe that having and an investing in strong mentorship programs for our students that teach leadership communication skills and also other soft skills is is key and there's ways of utilizing that same money for school improvement around these type of uh, programs and services and this is what we need that we have to still work towards closing the gaps when it comes to literacy and math but also producing that well-rounded individual to be able to compete in in the future and i also believe by having activities in person that are helping students around leadership and communication is going to translate to better literacy and also math skills and also that excitement and engagement about wanting to come to school that also improves attendance as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, I mean, just when, when you think about, you know, teenagers and what, what is what they look forward to when they're coming to school. And, and you could probably say this for any age group, but it's really about that peer network. It just becomes so important the older kids get. And they're probably not necessarily looking forward to, you know, their their testing session or whatever it is. They're looking forward to those peer interactions they're going to have at school. And if you can't navigate those, school will be difficult for you. Yes. And and, and so what I have learned as, a, as an adult you know, you don't think about it when you're in high school and, and you start getting into it when you're in college, but I am an introvert mm-hmm. and you, know, you start, becoming, <laughs> you start yeah. becoming aware of that and also aware of your behaviors in large rooms and settings. But as I think about it now, being 47 years old, if I had someone with me, like me in my experiences, coming into schools, talking to students around 
communication and helping them to understand themselves, their own their, their personalities, their behaviors, and be able to help them to come out, I'll say these, these shells in terms of the communication and understand that their voice is important in every room and how to express themselves and how to connect with others, even at uh, elementary age to middle school to high school, what powerful is gonna be when they get to college and, and beyond. And we just have to take some time to really shift when and where we're teaching these type of, of skills to really help our, our students be successful in the future. Yeah, I, as a fellow introvert, I appreciate that. And I also wish that I would have had someone to help me navigate some of those situations where it just seemed like, you know, it's, I don't know, almost biased towards the extroverts just because they know how to navigate it a lot easier when there's a big group of people and, and you have to be, you know, getting your input and you know, figuring out how to speak up. Um, all of those things were definitely a challenge. It would have been nice to have someone to just directly teach that in addition to the academic skills that we were learning in school. So, and then it's just, as you get up or grow up and have to navigate a job or, or even just you get involved in extracurricular events and, you know, sports clubs, all the other things that are available. Um, yeah, that would have been, would have been very beneficial. <laughs> so I, you mentioned some things about coaching and we talked about coaching in the context of helping the students, but what about in the context of helping the staff at all levels? So obviously you've had experience as a teacher, you've done school improvement and turnaround, and then you've also had experience as a principal and now you're, now you're coaching the principal. So you've kind of seen all the different levels. What do you see are the differing needs at all of those different roles? Because I'm imagining that somebody who is a first-year teacher probably has very different coaching and mentorship needs than somebody who is a principal thinking about being a superintendent. Yes, there there are various needs that are, as you go up the, the, the chain in reference to um, leadership and also experiences and responsibilities in schools. But one of the things that I believe that is really uh, common about this is the, the understanding from the coaches level that everyone that we coach, they do have skills, they do have talents, they do have strengths inside them already. It is really important for the, the coach to be able to ask those proper questions, to be able to draw those strengths out of the individuals and really help them to understand and have their own aha moments of awareness that they can make decisions. They can um, choose the right direction and course to, for their own self-improvement and also improving their performance. And that is really key. You know, right now, many times in our school settings, we have, you know, some coaches and mentors that we are assigned within our school settings. I believe those are, are good systems to have in place, but I believe that really to take our, our schools and organizations to the next level is the, the value of third party coaches mm -hmm. that are outside the organization. Yeah. That come in to be able to ask questions and, and improve the performance of these individuals. And the reason why I say that is because 
just by for me being a third party coach working with school leaders in various districts throughout the, the country is the opportunity to be able to the, the clients are very transparent yeah they're going through mm-hmm. um, how they're feeling and sometimes you get in environments and you don't want to even tell the coach that the district assigned to you you don't want to tell your supervisor or your principal what you're really going through because of some fear that they're going to use this against you yeah and and when you're working with a third-party coach they can speak freely the coach can be able to express uh, and support them in reference to people that they are leading and help them out um, to lead more effectively, but also in situations to be able to give them some direction about how to lead up and also influence Mm -hmm. those that are supervising them as, as well. Yes, as you mature in education, there's going to be various needs that you have in reference to coaching as you continue to improve your communication, your leadership abilities to go to the next level. But every level, everyone in education, I believe, should have a coach to be able to improve themselves. But most importantly, let's do things through proper coaching in the best interest of the students that we're there to serve. I wanted to take a quick break here and talk a little bit about the B Podcast Network and the Morning Motivation for Educators podcast. So the B Podcast Network is a network of shows in the school leadership and career development space. I recently joined the network this past year, and it has been a great experience because there are a ton of shows on the network that are designed to help people in education to be better leaders, to be more effective in the way that they show up for their students and clients, as well as to think about how they can grow in their careers. So there are shows focused on leadership, teaching strategies, ed tech, learning and development, and overall personal development for people in education. And then I wanted to talk about the Morning Motivation for Educators podcast. So this is a collaborative podcast with a number of contributing voices. I have contributed several times for the show and plan on continuing to do that in the future. And this show just gives you a short five to 10 minute episode every day to get your day started right. So just a quick dose of inspiration to help you start your day on the right foot. I have done a couple episodes so far. I did one about planning your systems before your self-care, and I also did an episode on how to create a master plan to help you to plan for your long-term goals. So to check out the Morning Motivation for Educators show, you're going to want to go to morningmotivationedu.com and to check out the other shows on the Bee Podcast Network, you're going to want to go to bepodcastnetwork.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the whole thing about transparency. I mean, I just, obviously your person that is doing your evaluation is there to provide some feedback and support for you, but there are certainly times like, what if you don't agree with the decisions that your administrator is making, or you don't feel like they're evaluating you fairly or making good recommendations? I mean, obviously that's going to be hard for them to coach you through that if they're the one that's causing the the distress. So there's different, I know there's different types of services and sometimes you can be in your in your 
your position as you know a person working in the schools, you can be a coach or a mentor to somebody on your team just through various formal or informal activities. But then there's different formats for getting these services that are available to people. And so there's there's coaching, there's therapy, there's consultation, and then there's mentoring. And there's all these different words that describe this help that you can get. And I know that different licensing agencies for professionals can sometimes have programs where it's, this is a mentorship program, or, um, you know, you can go to a therapist if you want. So where do you see when, when you're thinking about coaching, what are the components of coaching and how it might be different from some of those other models, or is there some overlap sometimes? Yeah, so it's definitely different. What you have mentioned, there are unique differences amongst all of them, okay? Mm -hmm. So definitely the coach is someone that listens to you and asks you questions to be able to draw out what's already inside of you to Mm -hmm. help you make some decisions, have have a greater uh, awareness And then from there, talk about the various directions you can go and help you to choose which action you're going to take and take the action and follow through with it. Okay, Mm -hmm. that is a coach. A mentor is someone that is is doing something that you want to do that's farther down the road than you, maybe 5, 10, 15 years, that is able to share experiences with you. Um, some resources, and you can ask them questions about what to do. They'll tell you what to do. And it's really important that, you know, for me, that I am really focused about spending a majority of my time working with aspiring current school leaders in the, as, a, as a coach. And like, like really like 90% of my time in the hour session, I want to coach, okay? Mm-hmm. And really want to push myself to 100%. The reason for that is because as a coach, I'm helping that individual develop their strength, their confidence, and the, and the, their awareness. You know, when I'm in the majority of mentoring, you're coming there, you're asking me some questions. I'm telling you what I would do and how right. I would handle it and what I did, okay? But that's not helping you, okay? Because you're going to always rely and call me for an answer. And I, when I work with people, I'm, I want to work myself out of working with them, okay? Because there's going to yeah. be someone else that needs the support. But if I if they always have to call me for some direction, then I'm not doing an effective job of coaching them. Then there, like you mentioned, there are consultants that work with uh, school districts or organizations. They come in there, they give some uh, overarching training, information, and resources. And many times, they're done. Okay, and yep. then from there you have to take it on from from there. Then you mentioned about the word of. A therapist. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to say this: as as a coach, you have to identify, understand when someone doesn't need your services as a coach. They need a therapist. Okay, yeah. there's some trauma that they went through, and until they go through a process of working with a therapist or counselor around that and get to a level of healing, coaching is not effective. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, sad to say, there are some coaches that are working with individuals that need a therapist at this period of time, and they're just taking the money. They're not getting what they need, and they're not improving, not better because they haven't gone through a healing process initially. And that's part of the ethical piece around coaches. We have to understand, is this the right time? Is this the right fit for us? 
is there a potential another coach that will work with this this potential client better than I am? That's where it comes in terms of your ethics when it comes to the coaching as well. So there's what you described and talked about, there are various people that are needed in our schools, work with our mm -hmm. educators, um, but you have to know exactly what your role is and stay in your lane. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. It's, that is like, you described so much of what I've experienced as a person who is provides some of these services, but also takes advantage of some of these services, including, well, honestly, I've done all of them as, a, you know, I've taken advantage of all of them. And it it is very frustrating when you have a coach who is not trauma informed and is not staying in their lane and is asking questions that are just poking and prodding at you. And they just kind of like pull all this stuff up and read you know, dig up all this trauma and then just leave, you know, it's like, what do you, what are you doing there? Um, and, and I think that in some of the coach trainings there, they almost, some of them encourage that or are like, yeah, like you can do it. There's no such thing as imposter syndrome and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's very unfortunate because coaching can be very powerful. And when people do that, it almost gives coaching a bad name. So I get very frustrated and I have worked with some amazing coaches that know exactly when to how to ask the right questions and immediately point out, you know, if, if you're kind of spiraling and distorting things, immediately redirect you and ask you the right questions without telling you exactly what to do and just kind of helping you tease it out. But at the same time, not digging up things that aren't necessarily within their skill set. I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things about being a consumer of coaching services where it's like you as the client are trusting that coach to coach within their skill set and tell you, well, you know what, maybe you should go see someone else to work on, you know, X, Y, Z. I can help you with these things. Let's not let the conversation steer over here. I think that's another thing that I've found that really within all of these models that I always appreciate is that you know, I'm coming in here, I'm upset about something. So I might be a little dysregulated. I might have a hard time staying on topic and kind of go off on tangents. That's kind of what I do when I'm upset about something. And somebody who's a good coach or therapist or, you know, whatever their role is, knows how to kind of steer you and take the, um, I know in sales, they call it, um, they call it like frame control where you're, you're the one that's in the driver's seat and kind of guiding it, even though it's still very client focused and not letting it get derailed, but at the same time, letting that person guide the conversation so that it's in line with what they need. Yes, de definitely. That awareness and in your role is, is key to be able to really, truly help the people that you're there to serve. Yeah. So when you are coaching and when you are just, you know, asking people questions and things like that. I mean, how do you know when to, you know, cause I've, I've kind of talked to different coaches in the past where they're like, okay, sometimes I just need to just tell people some information so we can get onto the coaching aspect. How do you know when to maybe step a little bit and put on your consultant hat for just a 30 seconds and then pop back over to your coaching hat? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> and I, 
when I, when, when it happens, I actually ask for permission to step oh, into okay. that role as, as a mentor. Okay. Yeah. And usually it's around timing. What has, what is happening that is bringing these questions to the, the client's minds for a time? And what are they walking into? Are they walking into something that's going to happen an hour from now with a meeting with a, a, a teacher mm. or a supervisor or the next day? And also, you know, how intense is the situation at this period of time? Those kind of factors play in terms of whether or not I need to move into a mentor role right now, mm -hmm. because if someone makes a bad decision right away, that a meeting that they're going to, it's going to be more work that we have to do mm -hmm. to work our mm -hmm. way out of it in the future. Yeah. Uh, so it's really the, the timing of the, the situation. Uh, if, if there's a, a problem that is happening, and I know that a meeting is going to happen uh, a week from now with certain individuals, it gives me time to really ask questions and really pull this out of the, the individual to know exactly what they're doing and have the right framework. But for me, if something is, uh, is a school crisis, if something's happening right now, mm -hmm. I, I step out of that role and I become that mentor for them. But at the same time, when I'm done with that mentoring opportunity and experience, in our next session, or even, I always tell my clients, like, call me after this is done, after this meeting has happened and so forth, let's talk about it then, because that then I'm, I'm able to go back into the coaching role. How did you feel about the decision? Uh, what can you have done differently to prevent this from potentially coming up so that it doesn't happen again? How can you further monitor and support these teachers so that they do not make these type of decisions moving forward. So, you know, there'll be times where I have to go into that immediate mode of mentoring so we can solve it and, 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 and resolve some things. But then I come back to them in terms of coaching to ask some questions around this situation and scenario so that they improve the thought process in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. Because sometimes you do need to put out, I mean, I can just, you know, think of times where, you want to be proactive, but there's something that's just an immediate fire that you need to put out and you just can't really focus on thinking long term until you address this thing. So on the topic, going back to some things that we were talking about earlier and just tying in this whole idea of decision making and your vision, are there things that have come up for some of the leaders that you've coached where maybe they're getting they're doing some kind of fo focus group or survey to kind of get feedback from different stakeholders, whether it be people who are working in the school systems, the students, the community or whatever. And they've done some of those things and what they found has been surprising to them where they've, you know, maybe asked for community input on attendance rates or just attitudes towards school and the, the school vision that they were just really surprised about? And how did you work through those things? As I, as I think about, you know, my experiences working with school leaders around your question, there wasn't, I haven't experienced and they haven't experienced any surprises about some new questions that came up in, in the process that they didn't think about or consider. But what has come out on these experiences of, of, resources, activities that they haven't done. Mm. Okay? Uh, one of the things I will say is that many times, 
uh, our school leaders and also even our, our teachers, they come in from various communities into a school to work. Mm-hmm. They pull into the, the parking lot, they walk into the school building, they do their job. When they're done, there might be some opportunity to stay after school, to do some work, they get back in their car and they go home. But one thing that I encourage when you're talking about the vision of the school, it's like, and even when I talk with new principals coming into a new school building, get out of the building, walk the, the block, mm. walk the area, go to the barbershop, okay? See what they're talking about. Let them know who you are as a school leader, what are the challenges, the, the local store, the, uh, I worked in a lot of, uh, urban uh, the school settings, the inner cities, the, the bodegas, you know, let the store owners know who you are and the principal, um, develop that relationship. Let the, the store owners talk about how are our students when they come to the store, um, how are their behavior, are, is, is it respectful? Those type of conversation and, and awareness is gonna be helpful for you to reinforce and support some of the, the core values within yeah. your school building. And when and they will express that they are a representation of themselves, their family, the school, when they go out to the, the, the local store and they're all powering into the store for some students to to steal some candy and so forth. That's not a, a value of, that we want. We want to be respectful. And they also need to understand and see you as a school leader. I used to, at the end of the school day, I used to go to the local stores and so forth. Like, oh, Mr. Gordon, you're in the store too. Yeah, I can go to the yeah. store Yeah, it's so funny but- when they see you outside of school and they're like, oh, you shop? Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I have to do this too. <laughs> yes, but those type of things, they had to understand that one, they have to be reflective on their self and, and, mm-hmm. and, and for their character, but also understand that the school administration, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. so we're out there in the community, but also we have a relationship with the store owners, people within the community as well, the neighbors as you're walking home, that you're not just walking home, you're eating candy and dropping paper on people's lawns, all that type of thing. So the key thing, one of the things that we noticed by doing these type of work around that whole community awareness, community engagement and involvement, a lot of our school leaders and, and, and staff, we're not getting out there uh, yeah. our communities and the, the neighbors and people that live in our community, the store owners, their voice is also important in reference to the vision of the school. We're, we're preparing them for different uh, opportunities in our communities and we yeah. don't know what they're looking for in terms of potential employers, potential opportunities for partnerships to work, potential internships that could come out of this, then we're really closing opportunities for our students. So that is one of the examples of some uh, new awareness that came out of some some strategic planning and vision work that I've done with several schools. I love that because, I mean, I talk all the time about, well, get out of your therapy room and go talk to the teachers. And But you could even take it a step further and, okay, get out of the school and go into the community. And that's even more powerful if you not only have a relationship with the other people that you work with, but also just the whole community around the school. I think, and the, the idea of like, cause, and again, there's this concept of generalization. So the student can do this thing in the therapy room, but are they doing it in the classroom? Are they doing it when they go home? 
But then to take it a step further and say, are they doing it while they're at the grocery store buying, you know, their, their soda or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, I love that. And I love the idea of, of letting them know that this is a team effort and that all the adults are a team that's, I don't want to say watching you, but supporting you. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, that's good. I think that sometimes it's easy to get stuck on the test scores and the academics, which of course is really important as well, but, but to forget about these other things in the community and these other resources. And I mean, and when you're thinking about how can we make that connection between what's going on in school and what's going on in the community? So I love that example. Um, (laughs) I think that sometimes you, when you just go into those conversations with without expectation of what you think the answer is and just be open about what, you know, like what is happening, what can be helpful that you can come up with some really unique ways to solve, solve problems. Yes. And and we talk about those unique ways to solve problems. I always say that even in the worst schools that we uh, have in terms of performance and, and even culture, I believe that the answer is still in the room. Okay, mm, so many times we, we, we go to other places to try to find the answer, but if we start talking with individuals that are in the, the classrooms, in the leadership, and really getting, uh, having, a, like I said, an open mind to their suggestions, their ideas, and really hear from them that what is really happening um, in our buildings, then together collectively, we can come up with some solutions and put them in place. Many times we think that um, someone uh, 2,000 miles away has the answer compared to what the people that are really dealing with it right now each and every day. Oh, I love that. The answer is in the room. (laughs) What about with your coaching session? Do you ever find that that happens where it's people think, I need to go outside for the solution when really it's the answer is in you. It's there. I mean, is that something that you coach people through as well? So that's that's a really interesting question because I don't think that I, I, now that I think about my coaching, I'm being reflective right now. I don't think that I give them an opportunity to think that the answer is somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Yes. The first time that anyone has asked me that question and I, I had to really think about it, but I always ask them questions with, I, I see my clients, you know, performing at high levels. I see them as a 10. I see them as knowledgeable. I see them as gifted. I see them as talented. And I and, and the answer and what they need to do, I believe is inside of them. And I believe in them. So I don't even give them an opportunity to think that they have to go somewhere else. I, mm-hmm. I, I worked consistently to pull it out of them. So th- that's what I, I do. I, so the answer to your question, I, I, I don't think that I've um directing them to anywhere else yeah i I want them to believe that the the answer is in them yeah and i think that's a subtle balance of what what we were just talking about where it's we're getting feedback from people but the answer about well what's what's the the action plan to find the solution could still be let me utilize these resources so in a way it is something that's within their within their skill set and their knowledge to be able to do and if it's not they have the decision-making ability to go find that and figure out what the solution is. Right. 
Yeah. So I know that we've covered a lot of different topics. I feel like we could go on the the school improvement and the school turnaround. There's just so many things to discuss there. Um, what are are there some other things before we wrap up that have come up as you're working through school turnaround or coaching people through school turnaround that have been surprising to you or challenging to you? Yeah, I think. Uh, one piece of it relates to uh, a portion of what Gordon Leadership Academy does in reference to our work preparing and inspiring school leaders to become school principals by preparing them for the school leadership licensure assessment, which is a required exam for in 20 states to become a certified principal. And on that exam, you have to have some knowledge around strategic leadership, instructional leadership, organizational leadership, culture and climate leadership, ethical leadership, and community engagement leadership. Those are six major leadership concepts that you need to be successful in the exam. And when I work with uh, aspiring school leaders on the exam, we go through and make sure they really understand what those leadership concepts mean and also how to apply it into our school settings. When a school leader passes the exam, what I'm noticing uh, for those that transition to positions and also our current school leaders that are out there right now, they tend not to remember all of these six leadership concepts, which I believe that you have to have uh, working in harmony to have a successful school. Yes, you might go into a school and, and have some challenges around culture and climate. And yes, you're going to put some emphasis towards improving that but many times there are school leaders that are putting like all their eggs in culture and climate mm. and now and and leaving the other five behind and yeah. i do i believe that that's not going to help you have a successful school or a successful school district and that's why i put together uh, the school leader reflective journal on helping leaders lead in harmony and that reflective journal has those six leadership concepts and asking a question on each page about one of the concepts that you need or in reference to one of those leadership um, styles. And the, the whole goal behind that text and journal is to be able to help school leaders keep these concepts in the forefront of their mind and really think about it. Um, it's, it's a reflective, reflective journal, helping them think about these concepts of what they did around this concept in the past, what can they do with, around this concept today? Like take action mm -hmm. also think about like, what can we do for the rest of the school year to improve this concept in our building? And also look at what can we do next year to really make an impact around this leadership concept? So the, the one thing that I definitely uh, have seen is that consistently our leaders are not keeping these six leadership concepts in the forefront of their thinking and, and, and uh, tend to put them to the side, which is, are, is causing problems in, in our schools. So that is the, the hope that our leaders will understand these six concepts, start leading in harmony with the full understanding. Sometimes you're gonna have to put a little bit more in front. Right. For instruction, but don't drop the other pieces of the of the puzzle. If you do, you're going to have challenges. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Where it does seem like some people, and this is just from listening to the way that people talk and the the topics that they gravitate towards, that there are some people who, like you said, uh, with the example of 
putting everything into the the culture basket where they like to be that big vision innovator. But how do you use those skills successfully if you don't have your operations and your instruction in control and have good practices there? I mean, they have to be layered together because how that feels from someone who is working with students is you're so you're so high up here in the big vision and that's great and sometimes that might make me feel inspired but now i have to go do something when i have students in front of me and if you're not leading by thinking about big picture and tangible actionable things then how are you going to help those people who have kids that are going to be coming into their classroom in five minutes and need to know what to do with them, you know, and how to support them. That's, I think, my biggest frustration or just thing that I've noticed where there's a little bit of a disconnect in the way that the language and the the topics between leadership and the people who are directly working with students, where it's just the big vision versus the tactical and getting those things to blend together and helping people to really understand both. And I think that, as you said, there were six areas, but those are the two where I kind of tend to toggle back and forth. And I'm sure that you could, you know, like the, like you said, those things break it down even more specifically. It, it, exactly. And, and one thing you were talking, came to my mind when you talk about this connection is definitely around the communication piece. Yeah. Um, you know, Everyone has to know exactly where the school is going, what the school needs, how we're going to do it. And it just can't be in the mind of the school principal. Mm -hmm. It has to be communicated effectively with all the stakeholders at various levels. Even our students need to know where we're going. And and that is really important in terms of leadership to be able to move our schools forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well... I think this is a good place to wrap up. So if people want to learn more about you and your resources, where can they go? Yes. So for myself, I am on a Facebook at Principal uh, Ed, sorry, Principal Edward Gordon on Facebook. On LinkedIn, it's just simply Edward W. Gordon II. But also, I always give out I have the one email address of Coach E.W. Gordon, the number two, at gmail.com. And of course, the, the book that I mentioned in terms of the school leader reflective journal, helping yeah. lead in harmony, you can go into Amazon to purchase a copy of that for your school leaders. And through uh, LinkedIn and social media, you can always reach out to me. I, uh, I definitely come into schools to be able to talk about these concepts and also work with your school leaders, your teachers, and also work with your, your students in reference to providing leadership communication and soft skills training and work with them as well. Great. Well, we will link to all those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes for the links to where you can connect with Edward, as well as get access to the School Leader Reflective Journal. And then finally, be sure to check out the B Podcast Network for educators and aspiring leaders. If you're looking for shows to inspire you to level up in your career or more effectively serve students, we've got you covered. Learn more about the B Podcast Network at bpodcastnetwork.com. 
And remember that there is one show that will give you quick episodes every day to help you get your day started on the right foot, designed specifically for educators. It's called Morning Motivation for Educators, and I am a contributor to that show. So to learn more about the Morning Motivation for Educators podcast, you're going to want to go to morningmotivationedu.com. If you have a suggestion for a guest, a topic, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anyone you think needs this information. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.